rest and wrestling, a spiritual interlude. Uh, Andy's not here, and so you know we can't really make fun of him for not knowing what that word is, what that word means. But for anyone who doesn't know, interlude basically means it's a, it's a, it basically means it's a pause, it's a rest, it's a break, it's a space, it's it's a transition, if you will, it's something to do. After something, but also right before you begin something else new. And so I'm thinking again, as we just got off both on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night series about evangelism, the heartbeat behind evangelism and, and evangelism tactics. And as we just got done last three weeks on Sunday morning, kind of taking a, a refresher course of who are we? What does solid mean and what are we supposed to do with shining our light in darkness? And before we begin having a vision of, okay, now that I know who we are, what am I supposed to do? Before we begin that study on Sundays and before we begin this study of the end times on Wednesdays, I just started kind of taking a step back and was just really thinking, okay, what has been happening and what's been going on just the last couple of weeks? What's been going on the last couple of months? Where do we all stand personally? And I don't know about you guys, but uh, with just all the big changes that are coming up, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's fear. There's not really knowing the answer to things. And is that okay? Is that not okay? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to feel? I don't know. But as I just think, you know, just from talking with you guys on Friday and in the last couple of weeks, I know that there's a lot of people that, you know, maybe you've just been bogged down or weighed down from past mistakes or past failures of not really seizing the day or, or latching on to what we're supposed to be doing. And now here you are as a senior or junior or sophomore, you're like, man, how do I redeem the time that I lost from not taking things seriously? And maybe it's not that, but maybe you're, you're unsure of what's to come. Where am I supposed to be? Is it here? Is it Greentown? Is it somewhere else altogether? I don't know. Maybe there's a lack of peace over making the right decision. Maybe it's not necessarily about the two churches, but maybe it's something else. Am I making the right decision to do this? Should I not do this? Should I maybe stop and actually pivot here and go a different direction with where God's leading me? Is He leading me in that direction? But there's a lack of peace over that decision making. Maybe, as I've talked with some of you, there's a, there's a fear of putting yourself out there. A fear of getting to know some of the other people within the youth ministry because maybe close friends are leaving. Or maybe you are the close friend that's leaving. And you have a whole new crew that you're going to have to get used to. And there's a fear of putting yourself out there and being vulnerable all over again. Again, fear, uncertainty. Being weighed down with the past. Getting out of our comfort zone. As I've just talked with some of you, and again, this is true for myself, even just with everything going on, there's just a, an overwhelming feeling. You're just overwhelmed with just finding the time to do what is our basic Christian duty a day in and day out. You have an overwhelmed feeling. You're, you're fearful. You have a lack of peace. You're in unrest and uneasiness. That seems to be where things are right now. And guess what? It's normal and to be expected when a transition happens. I hate change. Hate it. And so if you're feeling anything of the above of what I just said, you're like me and you're craving the opposite of all those things. You're craving peace. You're craving rest. 
You're craving certainty. Who's calling me right now on my phone while I'm trying to teach? I don't know anybody in Warren, Ohio. You're feeling that as your phone is buzzing in your pocket. And so when I think about interlude, and I think about just the, the, the space of two weeks that we have, these next two Wednesdays, I really just wanted us to take a break and to really focus on what does it mean to rest? And I found, especially with the passage we're going to look at tonight, that before we can get to a, a place of rest, before we can get to a, a place of peace, there needs to be some wrestling that happens first. And when I thought about that, I thought about the title that I have up here on the screen. So for those of you who either A, don't speak Latin, or B, are not uh, action movie aficionados, or C, are not a gun enthusiast, you may not know what this means, but just in case you don't fall into those three categories, anybody want to take a crack at what that means? Yes? If you want peace, prepare for war. Rock on, man, you did it. What's your name, by the way? James Dalton. James, nice meeting you. Man, you rocked it, nailed it out of the park. If you want peace, he falls in one of the three categories. I hope it's all three. Yes, if you want peace, prepare for war. The title of tonight's message is Parabellum, which specifically means prepare for war. We'll get to the rest part. We'll get to the peace part. We'll get to the certainty part. We'll get to getting rid of that uneasy feeling part. But we got to fight first. If we want that peace, we got to be ready to throw it out. And I love it. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, where God is saying that we need to labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. You know what he follows it up with in verse 12? Say it, Sam. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, piercing. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints of tomorrow. And of... The joints and marrow. Sorry. Yep. So we got to labor into the, into that rest. So we got to go to the Word of God, and we got to let that Word of God cut us deeply. Uh, I know we've already prayed two or three or four or seven times tonight, but I'm going to go ahead and pray one more time because again, uh, it's been a heavy week, been a heavy day, and I need it. So let's just go ahead very very quickly and bow our heads. Father God, I do want to thank you for the turnout that we have tonight, and thank you just for uh, your word that does give us that peace that passes understanding, and we need it, and I need it tonight. So as Cameron already played uh, or prayed, I, I just ask again and want to reiterate that you'd get me out of the way. This is your message, your book. Uh, you speak to these kids exactly where they're at and help them and help me, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn over to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to take a look at Jacob. And for those of you who don't know, Jacob himself, man, his very name means supplanter. It means to deceive. It means to, to try to, to, to swindle your way in and to subvert plans and purposes. And man, if you know anything about Jacob's life in the Bible, that was him. He wanted just to constantly weave his way in. He kind of wanted to weasel himself in burrow himself into other people's affairs and other people's businesses and to take things that didn't really belong to him. 
did that with his brother and with his family and got himself into a lot of trouble with his brother to the point where Esau, because Jacob, he, he tricked his dad into giving Jacob Esau's birthright. And now Esau was like, all right, after my dad dies, I am going after my brother and I'm going to kill him. And so then Jacob goes on this life on the run, and he has these trials that God puts in his life, but man, he just was never able to find peace. He was never able to actually rest and to be at, 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 at peace with the decisions that he's made and with where God's leading him and everything that's going on. But he's seeking it. He wants that certainty. He doesn't want to be weighed down by the past anymore. He doesn't want to be in fear anymore. He wants to put himself out there and not be afraid of what's going to reach back out to get him. So in chapter 32, verse 1, follow along with me. Jacob went on his way, and he's trying to go back to his brother Esau to try to reconcile with him. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim. Now, if you guys want to take notes, I got some spaces there. Not a lot of blanks, but I got some spaces there for you to add a couple things from what I say that's not on your outline. But I find it interesting. You know what the word Mahanaim is? This place that Jacob named where he saw God's angelic host, it means two camps. Wow, deep and spiritual. But when I think about it, and I really do sit and ponder, man, what would that have anything to do with this? Well, look at your outline here. The first bullet point. Jacob was aware of God's protection for this endeavor. He saw the hosts, and he was so stirred and moved by what God was doing. He's like, man, there's two camps here. And I'm reminded of in Exodus, I believe it's chapter 14, after God delivered the nation of Israel out of bondage, he said that, man, I am so going to protect my children. I am going to go before and behind them. I'm going to cover their front side and I'm going to cover the rear and make sure that nothing touches my children. They are going to be protected. They are going to be completely engulfed in my love and my protection. Which direction is this? That's the wrong way. Down. down. That's, it's, there's, down. Which direction? I'm holding it upside down. Then maybe up. <laughs> oh, Cam. <laughs> There we go. I'm finding it. It's going. I've seen on the laptop now. And one second. There we go. We did it. Yay, me. Thanks for that, Satan. Now I have to regroup. God is saying that he's going to protect his children. He goes before him and behind him. And I'm reminded of this verse in Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Man, it doesn't matter what it is that you're feeling out of the whole list of things that I listed tonight. God goes before us and behind us. He's encamping all around us as long as we're fearing him. As long as we're willing to trust him wherever it is that he's leading us. I think about that, and I'm like, I wonder if that's the reason why Jacob named it that. Two camps. God, double protection. All right, Lord, I'm not sure what the road ahead has for us, but I'm going to follow, and I know that you got my back, and you're watching out for my front. You're protecting me all around. But I also think of something else, too. If you want to write down Galatians 5.17, that verse tells us that 
there is a war that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. There is a constant everyday battle between our flesh, that old man that wants to come back and get control of the way things were before we were saved, and the Spirit of God that lives and dwells inside of us that is trying to make us more into the image of His dear Son, make us more like Christ. And those two conflicting natures are constantly in battle with each other. They're constantly at war with each other. And if we want peace, we got to prepare for this, be prepared for this war every single day of our lives. If we want the assurity of the decisions we're going to make going forward, we got to know that we are in this fight. I love it. There, uh, there's a verse in Song of Solomon where even Solomon himself, he looks at his bride and he says, I look at you, my beloved. It's a picture of Jesus looking at us, the church. And he says, within you are two armies. Two armies, these two conflicting natures, these two camps, if you will. And we're going to see a battle take place here in just a moment. But you see in the first bullet point, Jacob is aware of God's protection for this new endeavor. And so what does he do? Verse 3. Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall he speak unto my lord Esau, his brother. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with labor and stayed there until now, and I have oxen and asses and flocks and men servants and women servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. You see, the next bullet point, he sought to do God's will of reconciling all to him or all to God. And this should sound familiar. For those of you who are here on Sunday, we just talked about this. This is the mission that God has given each and every single one of us. It's the ministry that God has given all of us to reconcile the lost world unto God the Father by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. That they may behold what He's done on the cross for them. That they may see what He's done as payment, as substitute for our sins, dying a death that we could only do by, by suffering in hell for all of eternity separated from Him, Christ took our place on the cross and God the Father dumped out and poured out His entire wrath upon His one and only Son that you and I might be spared. And everyone who calls upon Him shall be saved when we realize that and we believe Him and receive Him by faith. That's what Jacob's trying to do. He's trying to reconcile with his brother. And that's the ministry that we've all been given. And again, we know this, we just talked about this, but there's still that uncertainty. There's still the woes of our past life. There's still the woes of the time that we might have wasted. There's still the fears and the lack of peace and rest within us of what lies ahead. Third bullet point. Well, let's read verses 6 through 8 actually first. Can I get a reader for that? Carson, loud and clear. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and, the, and, the, and he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks, and, the, and herds, and the camels into two bands, and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. Jacob hears that, Oh man, I'm going to reconcile with my brother. Oh yeah, your brother's coming, all right, but he ain't coming alone. Got 400 men armed to the teeth. says that. Carson just read over it. Just kidding, it doesn't say that. 400 men. And what is Jacob's reaction right away? Fear. Fear. Ah, uh, man. 
trying to go on this path to peace, but man, it looks like I'm in for a fight. Looks like I'm in for it. And so what does he start doing? He starts doubting what God actually had intended for him. He starts doubting the plans and purposes of God. He starts questioning, am I really supposed to be reconciling? Am I really supposed to be doing this mission that I thought all along was in fact the mission? Oh, you know what? I have to come up with a plan. I have to figure out how to get my own peace. I have to figure out how to have security in the decisions that I make. So I'll come up with a plan. Third bullet point. Even though he sought to do God's will of reconciling all to him, yet fear, fear sets in, causing him to waver and doubt. Hold your place here and turn over to James chapter 1. We're mostly going to be in Genesis 32 all night. I have most of the verses up on the screen, but I wanted us to see this with our eyes. This verse to me has just meant so much over the years, and especially in connection with Genesis 32. Can I get a reader for verses 5 through 8? Sam, loud and clear. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. <laughs> for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I love it. I remember Bobby a couple weeks ago mentioned verse 5, and I love that verse an older gentleman in our church by the name of Larry Lures, he shared verse 5 with me a long time ago when I was in the high school. And man, it just stuck out to me. And he's like, I've always prayed verse 5, and I believe God has answered that prayer as I've gotten older. You lack wisdom on some. You're not sure what decision you're supposed to be doing as you move forward in life. Ask God, because not only will He give you the answer, but He gives it liberally. We just talked about that this past Sunday. Ephesians 3.20, He's going to answer that prayer exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. He's going to. But there's a condition. There's a clause to whether or not how much he gives that answer to. And Sam just read it. Let him ask in faith nothing... What? Verse 6. Let him ask in faith nothing... What? Wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. If you're asking for something... Be bold and be confident with what you're asking God. Don't go back and forth like, oh, well, Lord, should I? Or is this the right way? Oh, God, I think, oh, I don't know. What should I do? Be bold and confident of it. And if you're wrong, he's going to gently show you. He's like, no, here's actually the path I'm going to take you. But if we ask and we're not certain of it, if we ask and we're not bold in it, what did he say is going to happen in verse 7? Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of God. There needs to be a fight in your prayer. You want something? You're seeking an answer to something? Fight for it. Be bold. Don't wave in uncertainty. Now, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should do that. Go straight to him in boldness, he'll give you the clarity. He'll give you the peace. He'll give you the rest that you're seeking. But if you don't, you might still be in confusion. You might not have the peace you're looking for. And it's probably because we're double-minded. 
and we're unstable in all of our ways. But it's a good thing there's an answer to that found back in Genesis 32. So that's what he's doing. He's starting to doubt, and he's starting to be tossed with the waves and uncertainty in, and in his doubt, he's wavering. And what, is he, what do we tend to do when that happens? We start to try to take things in our own control. We start to take the reins ourselves, because we know better than God. Look at verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac. Oh, now he prays. He should have did that at the beginning. And check this out. The Lord which saidst unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies, he prays, and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I, what? Fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, once again, he quotes God's word. I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. On your outline, now he prays and he remembers God's word. Two times in this prayer, he remembers something that God spoke to him. But wait a second. We just read that somebody who wavers, they're not going to receive the answer to their prayer that they want. We just saw that in James, and yet now here he is, he's praying, and he even quotes scripture that God said to him before that really stirred him. You know what that shows me? It's possible for us to be in our Bibles and to be in prayer, but to not really be with God. It's possible for you to be in your Bibles regularly and daily. It's possible for you to be in prayer continually and not be with God. To not see Him. There is a difference between doing devotions and being with the King. Jacob's seeing that firsthand. Man, and I'll tell you what, it just reminds me, Matthew 15, 8. Jesus himself even said, This people, they draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, Jacob's close, but he's not quite there yet. He's doing what's right, like we talked about on Sunday. Checkbox Christianity. Okay, I mentioned the Word of God. Check. I remembered it. I prayed. Check. So I'm good, right? Not always. As I told you, even my story, for two years of my life, coming here every single Sunday, coming here every single Wednesday, being a part of youth activities, but the other days of the week, I was somebody else entirely different. You wouldn't be able to tell I was a Christian because I was hiding my gospel, hiding my light, keeping it under a bushel. And last bullet point there. He prays and he remembers God, and yet Jacob goes back to his old ways by relying on his flesh. Relying on his flesh. 
So for verses 13 to 23, Jacob starts to concoct yet again another scheme. Yet again, another plan in his own wisdom. Because he so desperately wants peace with where he's going. He so desperately wants the answers that he needs. He wants to rest in what's going to happen in the transition and the change that's coming up. But he's wanting to do it his way and not God's. And it just reminds me again, beautiful verse in Romans chapter 4. This is talking about Abraham. Paul's writing to, Rome, to the church in Rome. He says that Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He wasn't wavering. He wasn't doubting God's plan. But rather, he was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was able also to perform. That is the definition of faith. We walk by faith. We walk with God daily. We ought not to stagger at all at what He says. The decisions we make, the areas that God is taking us on, we can't doubt it. We can't waver. We got to be bold. We got to have that assurance. We got to have that strength of mind and that peace of mind. But what if I don't? Fight for it. We'll see how by the end of tonight. But he was strong in faith. He was fully persuaded. Not half persuaded. Not fully persuaded at certain times in his life, but then <laughs> other times, no. He was fully persuaded. And God blessed him for that. He rewarded his faith. Write down Hebrews 11.6. God rewards those that diligently seek Him. Because without faith, it's impossible to what? Please Him. We want to be in the business of pleasing God every single day, right? Yes. Yeah. That's, we just saw that again on Sunday. That's our entire mission is to glorify God, to make Him look good, to make Him happy and pleased by doing what He asks us to. And so He concocts this entire scheme. Again, it's His nature. It's what He's always done. He's going back to His old ways, trusting that His flesh is going to take care of things. Which reminds me, we can't fight a spiritual battle in the power of the flesh. We can't. You can't fight the spiritual warfare that we're in thinking that I'm going to do it. I can muster up enough strength. No, we need to die to self. We need to be crucified daily. We need to take up our cross daily and say, God, crucify me to this world and this world unto me. I don't want to care about the world system. I don't want to try and do this in the power of my might and my strength and my intellect. No, 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 it's got to be you. That's a good prayer to start your day every single day. So his plan on your outline involves, if you were to look at those verses, you can do that later on tonight, it involves dividing his family, risking half of them possibly dying, it involves lying, it involves getting others to go along with his deception. And he genuinely thinks that maybe this will resolve the issue. Why did I put that in parentheses? Look at verse 20. And say ye moreover, this is Jacob telling his servants what they should do when they should see his brother Esau. Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face. And here's Jacob's actual thought process. Peradventure, he, Esau, will accept of me. 
That word peradventure literally means maybe. He goes through this entire plan that is 11 verses long that we're not even going to look at because it's so detail-oriented. So detail-oriented in the power of his flesh and in his own intellect and not God's. He concocts this whole big plan all just for a maybe. Again, staggered not. Abraham staggered not. Strong in faith, he was fully persuaded that what God had said he was able to do. God promised Jacob that he was going to be fruitful when he returned back home. And again, as we just saw at the beginning of this chapter, he sent two angelic hosts to show him, look, I am going to protect you. I am going to keep you safe. You have nothing to worry about. Your fears will be alleviated. Your worries and concerns about what lies ahead will be stifled. You will make new friends. You will have your new crew. You will have an important mission that I'm going to take care of you on in this new endeavor. You'll be fine. But how quickly he forgot it. How quickly we forget these things sometimes. Me too. You see, point number one was all about, this time it'll be different. Ah, forget about the past. Forget about, yeah, I used to swindle my brother. I, yeah, I stole his birthright from him. Yeah, I've done a lot of other heinous stuff because I'm a deceiver. I'm a schemer. I'm a weasel. But this time it'll be different. Mm -mm. No. You see, if we want peace, we got to prepare for war. That's why in point number two, it's time for fight night. So Jacob sends off his family to, to divide up into two camps, thinking that if Esau attacks the one, hopefully the other will get away. And he considers that a victory. And so now Jacob's left alone. Verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he... And now this is one of those verses... That, we'll stop real quick, stop real quick. Before we read verse 25. This is one of those verses where I, I have this thing where sometimes I'll be talking with somebody and they'll be like, so he said this and then he did that. And then this guy over here, he did that. And, he, and I'm like, stop, stop, stop. I can't play the pronoun game with you. Who's the he over here? Who's the he over there? How many he's are actually in this story? Because I'm losing count. What did he one do to he two? And where did he three come in? And is there a he four? So this verse is kind of something like that. So I'm going to read it, and I'm going to tell you who the he's are here, because if you're not careful, it can get a little tricky. So Jacob's left alone, and there's this man that wrestles him. Verse 25. And when he, the man who wrestled Jacob, saw that he prevailed not against him, Jacob, he, the man, touched the hollow of his thigh, Jacob's thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him, the man. Make sense? So Jacob's sitting there alone. And this is a passage that if you've been at, grew up at church, you know, you've probably heard it. It's usually said that, oh, Jacob wrestles the angel. Jacob wrestles the man. Not according to what we just read. Jacob didn't start this fight. This man picked a fight with Jacob because this particular man had enough of him. 
had enough of his schemes, had enough of his doubts, had enough of his wavering. He's like, all right, you and I are going to have it out. Get in your corner, I'll get in my corner. When the bell rings, it's on and time to throw down. So on your outline, when enough is enough, God gets Jacob alone and picks a fight. As we're going to see at the end of this passage, the man, he's an angel, all right. He's the angel of the Lord. The pre-incarnate Jesus Christ himself comes down and wrestles physically and spiritually with Jacob. Have you ever been in a wrestling match with Christ himself? There are times where I thought I did, but man, a couple years ago I was in it. And I'll tell you about it at a different time because there's a whole entire hour I can devote just to a testimony on this passage that I won't tonight. But man, I'll tell you what, same thing happened with me as we just read in verse 25. As we saw in the first, look again at verse 25. When he saw Jacob, or I'm sorry, Jesus, when, see, I'm even doing it to myself, which he is this? And when he, Jesus, saw that he prevailed not against him, Jacob. Look at the little sub point on your outline. When we're wrestling God, there are times when our flesh wins, quote-unquote, preventing God from accomplishing what He wants. Do yourself a favor and look up Psalm 78 later on tonight. It's a very unique verse. There's not really another verse like it in the entire Bible. You know what it says? That the nation of Israel had the power and the capability to limit the Holy One. They limited what God was able to do through them and to them because of reasons like we just saw last Sunday. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above and beyond all that we ask or think, but it's according to the power that worketh in us. And as our two camps, our mehaneum of the flesh and the spirit are battling it out, sometimes we decide to yield to the flesh and the flesh prevents Christ from getting the glory that he deserves out of us. Sometimes that happens and we limit what God is able to do through us. And maybe that's happening right now with some of you. Maybe it is a sin issue that you have that you're limiting God. You're limiting what He's able to do in you and through you at your schools to completely and radically change it and turn it upside down on its head. To completely and utterly smash the faces in of giants that are hindering you from doing things that frankly, we've not seen since the book of Acts. That we've not seen since the early church age in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, like we talked about on Sunday. We can do that. Maybe it's our sins or, like we've talked ad nauseum tonight, maybe it's our doubts. Maybe it's our fears. Maybe it's our uncertainties. But, so the next bullet point says there, God is faithful to finish what He starts in us, one way or another, no matter the cost. Philippians 1.6. Does anybody know what that verse says out of curiosity? 
being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in us will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Has God begun a good work in you? If you're in here and you're saved, that's a start. That's the beginning of the good work. He's going to be faithful to see it through to the end. Whatever it is that He is trying to accomplish in your life personally, He's going to see through to it. The question is, are we going to tap out when He's got us in that rear naked chokehold? Or are we going to have to let Him snap the arm or touch the hollow of the thigh? What are we going to do? Good, we got time for this. I thought this was kind of cool, especially with just what Pastor Tom had shared on Sunday. Hold your place here. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 11. You know, Pastor Tom was talking about in the book of Joshua, his message on Sunday, how you know there are certain chapters that kind of seem to drag as you're reading. And then there are certain books where you're like, how on earth am I going to do my daily devotions in this book? And Leviticus is definitely one of them. Anybody read Leviticus recently? Oh, Pastor Stephen. Had, oh, because the tabernacle. That's right. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. I feel blessed by your comments. <laughs> I'm glad I could be uplifting to you. That's one word for it. So Leviticus is one of those books because it's all about the laws that God had for the nation of Israel. Now that they've been delivered and rescued from Egypt, they have the law of God that they need to follow. And it can be a dry read if you're honest. But I came across this passage and I'm like, what a perfect representation of what we just saw. So God saw that he wasn't winning against Jacob's flesh. So what did he do? He just touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and boom, the hip was out of socket. Or, well, I don't really have time to get into this. I kind of believe that he touched the hollow of his thigh, maybe broke his leg and his uh, femoral artery was sliced and he was bleeding out right then and there. But I'll share that for another story. <laughs> telling you, read the rest of the passage. We don't have time to look at it tonight, but it looks like Day or Jacob was on his last leg. <laughs> I'm serious. I can't really support this with other scriptures throughout the rest of the Bible, but it's there. I wouldn't be surprised, though. Had Jacob not had the proper response that we're going to see here in a little bit, I wouldn't be surprised if that was it for him, if his days were numbered. It's one of those maybes. It's, it's, I'll tell you this is the very first question I'm going to ask him when I see him. What are we even talking about? Why am I in Leviticus? All right. So what does he do? God touches the hollow of his thigh and he breaks him. He breaks this vessel, you guys. Second Corinthians 4, we just saw this past Sunday. We are called earthen vessels because we are a vessel that contains the Holy Spirit of God, right? So in the law of God, the book of Leviticus, God highlights something. You're like, this is odd. This is bizarre. But I find it so interesting and so cool. I hope you guys too do too. Do do do. Do 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 do. Leviticus 11. Check out verse 29. These also shall be unclean unto you among the creeping things that creep upon the earth. What's the first one he mentions? <laughs> Say that again, Carson. I was yawning. <laughs> that was epic. Sounded like a weasel. I've never heard a weasel, but that's what I'm going to picture a weasel talks like now. Interesting. 
<laughs> a weasel. Did anybody even know that a weasel was in the Bible? No. I didn't. Huh. When somebody's being squirrely, when somebody is a schemer and a deceiver, what's a word that we call them? Hmm. Hmm. The weasel and the mouse and the tor tortoise after his kind. You know what a tortoise is? It is a lazy, dumb animal. It's lazy. The entire parable of the tortoise and the hare, he's slow. I get it, yeah, yeah, easy going or slow moving wins the race, whatever that stupid quote is. But he's lazy. So, so far in verse 29, you know what the picture is that we're getting? These are not animals that are good animals. That's why they're mentioned as unclean. Verse 30, and the ferret and the chameleon. Now, when we call somebody a chameleon in our society, what does it usually mean? They blend in. Maybe they pretend to be one thing when really they're something else. Man, this is like it's describing David. And the lizard and the snail, another stupid lazy animal. And the mole. Ah, I almost forgot about that one. If you call somebody a mole, let's say maybe more of a political context, what does that usually mean? They're a traitor. They're a turncoat. They're not really on our side. They're not really one of us. They're working for the enemy. A mole. These are unclean, verse 31, to you among all that creep. Whosoever doth touch them when they be dead shall be unclean even unto the even. And then he talks about, you know, we can skip verse 33 for now, but here's the thing. Look at verse 30, or I'm sorry, verse 32, but look at verse 33. And every earthen vessel whereinto any of them, the unclean creeping animals, falleth, whatsoever is in it shall be unclean. Ye shall do what to the earthen vessel? Break it. We are called earthen vessels in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I think it's verse 6. Jacob was an earthen vessel. And he allowed a lot of these dead fleshly things to fall into his earthen vessel. Had no choice but to break him. Mark it down. You let these things get into your way and hinder God working in you and through you. Watch out for the hammer coming down. Turn back over to Genesis 32. Four verses we read in Leviticus. The entire book is chalked full of cool things like that if you dig for it. This is why I love studying the Bible, but we'll talk about that in the weeks to come on Sunday. So he breaks him. And then something interesting happens on your other bullet point here, on your outline. An interesting time of prayer commences. Look at verse 26. And he, now this is Jesus speaking, he said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And I got to stop there because I'm like, wait a second. Why on earth would Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who just broke his hip, 
Why would Jesus say, let me go? Why not just turn and look at this heap of a mess, this heap of bones on you, and just go... and just watch Jacob go sailing 400 yards hole in one. Why not do that? He has the power. He has the capability. Why ask him this question? You think maybe it's to see, all right, just shattered the earthen vessel. Are you sure this weasel's dead? You sure you're done being a mole? Are you absolutely certain that you're, re you're ready to stop doubting? You're ready to stop wavering? Are you 100% certain you're not going to go back to the vomit again? Are you absolutely sure, Jacob? Are you absolutely sure that I don't need to break this vessel again? Let me go. Let me go like you did the other times. All the other times, Jacob, I gave you as an opportunity to repent. Every time you and I get close to each other, after every summer camp and your commitments, after every winter camp and your commitments, when you get close to me, then you go back to school and you run off again, being the weasel. Let me go, just like you did in times past. I wonder. The answer is unequivocally yes. He could have just brushed him off, let him lie there. No. You see, the same one who breaks us is the same one who restores us. And he wanted to test Jacob to see, am I really done with you or do I need to snap the other leg too? Are you really done playing these games? Are you really ready to start following me? Are you done playing the weasel with these schemes that you're doing? Trying to win this spiritual battle in the power of your flesh. You want rest? You want peace? Fight for it by letting me break you. Verse 26. Let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou blaspheme. That sounded kind of entitled. Sounded very cocky and arrogant. Something I've always thought about this passage and why this passage has always just baffled me. Why on earth would God let him say that? How on earth could Jacob say it like that after what just happened to him? And then, verse 27, He, Jesus, said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. God seemingly blesses this entitled, arrogant punk who is cocky and doesn't seem like he's really learned his lesson. He's going to have to get broken again later on in life. Or maybe that's not what he's doing. Maybe he's actually like this. Isaiah 45 verse 9 says, Woe unto him that striveth, or fights, with his maker. Let the potsherd, earthen vessel, strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work, he hath no hands. In other words, don't say what Jacob just said with that cocky, arrogant, prideful, kind of entitled attitude. But then, interestingly enough, in Isaiah 45, 
two verses later, God would also say this. Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker, Ask me of things that come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me? This is God saying this? You want to know what's going on? Command me. God is saying that to us. So is this a contradiction? What's going on here? That's why this is an interesting time of prayer that commences. This is an interesting fight that's going on here. This is an interesting wrestling match of a whole different kind. You see, as we've already seen in the first bullet point under that, God issues a challenge to see if Jacob is going to do what he's always done. If he's going to continue the pattern, if he's going to tuck tail and run and weasel his way back into his old schemes, his old fleshly self, where he's doubting and wavering. And if you were to look up that passage in Exodus later, you know what you'll find? Moses had a similar conversation with God. Moses is with God. God looks down at Israel at the bottom of the mountain. And he sees a whole bunch of just idolatrous, idolatrous sorry, abominations going on. A whole bunch of wickedness and sin. They're doing the exact same pagan stuff that the Egyptians were doing. Now they're doing it as delivered, saved souls. The stuff they just got delivered from in Egypt, they brought over. And God says, I am going to wipe every single one of them out right now. You know what Moses did? He went to God and he pleaded with him. And he says, if you do this after everything that you just did for us, after everything you just brought us out of, what on earth is the rest of the world going to say? Why is anyone going to believe and want to follow you after this? And you could check this passage out later, but Moses says these words. He just goes to God and he says, turn from thy fierce wrath and anger. Just like that. He doesn't go, God, um, please, peradventure, maybe, possibly, if there's five righteous down there, could you, maybe, nothing against Abraham, but could you maybe possibly spare them, Lord, maybe? Uh. No, you know what Moses does? He asks in faith, staggering not at the promise of God in unbelief. And I love it. About this very incident, Psalm 106, 23 says this, Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach, or as you mentioned Friday, Sam, a man to stand in the gap between God's people and God the Father. Moses stood in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Do you guys realize that this is a cheesy cliche in Christianity today? So please, in light of these verses, in light of what we're seeing here with this epic fight, do not miss this because of the cheesiness of the cliche, but do you guys realize the immense power you wield every single time you go to the throne room? This one man spared countless, spared countless souls from being utterly destroyed because of one prayer. Don't tell me that God can't possibly save your entire school. Aim for reaching and witnessing everybody in your classroom, everybody in your school, and be content when he saves three. At least it's a start.
that's what this guy did. Talk about boldness. You want to talk about having such a close relationship with God where you can talk to Him as though He's your friend. You ever had a frank conversation with somebody in this room? A conversation where you're like, look, man, come on. You know not to be joking like that. You know not to be saying things like that. You know not to be acting that way. Come on. You ever had a frank conversation like that? That's good. That's called iron sharpening iron. And that's what we want here amongst you guys, having those kinds of relationships where you can have that freedom to talk that way, to give as well as receive that admonition. You know what's interesting about Moses and his relationship with God? It said that he talked with him, and God talked with Moses as a man doth his friend. That's how close we need to be in our prayer life with God. Struggling with rest, struggling with being at peace with the decisions you're about to make or have made, fight for it. Have it out with God. Let Him reveal things to you, and if need be, break you of certain things so that you can have that peace. Where are we at? Oh, last bullet, or second to last bullet point there. So God issues a challenge to see if Jacob's going to do what he's always done, but yet it's through his brokenness Jacob learns not to waver or doubt any more. You see, it's not an entitled prayer. It's not a cocky arrogance. You know what it is? It's this. Why did that go up twice? It's this Song of Solomon 3, 4. It was but a little that I had passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. It's about a, a bride to her husband. Us. To Jesus. I held him and would not let him go. You know what it is? It's Paul. Not as though I had already attained. I'm not perfect. God's still working things on me. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after. I follow hard after him. Like a deer does the water brooks because my soul is thirsty for him. If that I may apprehend or lay hold of that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying here? I will not let you go except you bless me. It's not I won't let you go except you bless me. No. Jacob's lying here. Broken. And he's realizing he's done. He's not playing these games anymore. He's not being the weasel. He wants peace. He wants rest. He wants assurance of the decisions he's making, he's about to make. Let me go, Jacob, just like you always have. No. I'm done letting go. I'm not letting go until you and I have it out until I know exactly what it is that I'm going to do when I get up here. I'm not letting go of you. I finally found you, and I finally am ready to listen to what it is you have to tell me. And rest assured, I'm going to do it. So bless me with that. Because I ain't letting go of you until you bless me. That is called wrestling with God. That is called 
going to the throne of grace in boldness, as Hebrews 4 talks about. That's different from how we open up a service in prayer. That's different from when we pray and ask God to bless this food. These kinds of prayers should be different from those other prayers. These are prayers where we do what Jesus says in Matthew 6, where we enter into the prayer closet. This time alone, like Jacob was alone, where God gets a hold of us and we're completely free of all the distraction and the noise of the world. We're completely free from the social media and our cell phones and all the ding-ding and beep-beeps and all of that garbage. And we just be with God. Not do devotions. Not pray, huh, Jesus, uh, please, God, just show me what you want me to see from this and uh, let me see uh, what I need to do next. Okay, amen. Mm -mm. This is different. If we want peace, we want rest, we want the assurance of the decisions we're about to make, we've got to fight for it. That's the difference between doing devotions and being with God. Or, as we see Jacob here, look at verse 30. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. This is the difference between doing devotions, doing our Bible reading, and seeing God. Seeing God work. And what does he do? God heals him, he gets back up, and he marches back to go to his brother. Last bullet point, though physically weak, Jacob is spiritually strengthened to carry out his mission. Chapter 33 comes, he goes and he meets his brother, and he sees his brother, and Esau runs to him, and he falls on him, and he kisses his neck. He's just happy to be reconciled unto Jacob, or as he's now known, Israel. Because when you have a face-to-face -face interaction with God, you're not going to have the same name. You're not going to be the same person you were before your interaction with God. You're not. You're going to be changed. You're going to be transformed. But check this out. Look over at chapter 33. Look at verses 18 to 20. Can I get a reader for those as we close? Kendall? Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Caderon and pitched his tent before the city. He brought, and he bought a pot from the field where he spread his tent, at the hand of the children of the Lord, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Boy, I gave you some deep devotional truths with those verses to read. I love verses like this. He reconciles with his brother. He's a changed man. And what does he do? He purchases land. He purchases a field that he is going to go and pile stones as an altar of remembrance of what God did. And he names the place the mighty God of Israel. The mighty God whom he had a face-to-face -face interaction with. And now he has peace. Now he can go to his land. The land that God set him up for. The land that he can go and worship. And do what he was originally called to do.
which was bear fruit, and have seed aplenty in that land. Now he can finally rest. Now he has peace. Now he's not doubting the past anymore. Now he's not living in the past and weighed down by it. Now he's not afraid of putting himself out there anymore, of making new connections, of reaching out to people that he's not familiar with. He's not overwhelmed with finding the time to do what he needs to do on his day-to-day Christian activities because he's a changed man. He needed that peace. We're in a time of unrest and unpeace right now because we're in the midst of a transition. It's an interlude. We need some peace. We need some rest. I feel it. I know you guys do because we've been talking with you for months now. We get it. We're feeling it too. So if you guys want that, fight for it. Get alone with God this week and be with Him. Don't just do your one chapter. If God only wants to do one verse with you, then camp out there for a little bit. And if He gets a hold of you, if He gives you something where you're like, man, I'm seeing it now clearly. I'm getting just a little taste of what God is, where He's leading me, what He wants me to do specifically, specifically in solid and specifically at edge, GBC. When He gives you that little taste, latch on to Him. And don't let go until you know for certain where He's leading you next. Let's pray. Father, I do pray we would get alone with you and I pray that we would fight and that we'd wrestle and that we know for sure where it is you're leading us individually. Again, we're going to talk about this in weeks to come. If we know where you're leading us individually, if we have the vision of where you're wanting to lead us personally, then we'll be able to carry that over to the youth ministry and we'll be able to corporately know where is God leading solid? Where is God leading edge as a whole? And when we know that, then we'll be able to know where our part is in this church and where we're going to minister and affect this church and consequently the whole entire world. Either way, God, let us bring glory to your name. Lord, we want to rest, but sometimes we got to wrestle first before we get the rest. So Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that they need to do business with you tonight, whether it's a sin issue, whether they're just really doubting and wavering and going back and forth with decisions, should I, shouldn't I, what do I do, what don't I do, God, may they get alone with you. And may they open themselves up to just let you touch their lives and to break the things that need broken, to break the earthen vessels that have allowed the unclean things inside of them. And Lord, have your way ultimately with all of us. Be glorified for your name's sake, for our land's sake, for the purposes that you saved us for sake. We ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 